Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. First with us today... We got J-Bone. Hey, everybody. How's it going? We also got the Duke. I want to rock! Rock! <laughs> Once again, busting out the uh, extra special fourth mic. We got Lorraine McLean. Woo! Fourth mic. You can't hear fist bumps, but they're happening. Yeah. <laughs> know it in your heart, folks. We're pumping it up. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. In the new corner seat. That's like... A whole new Yeah, the studio's world. expanding as we bring it to you guys. Alright, well now we got... I've been wanting to try it for a long time, but it just now got like distributed in the area. It just got distributed in this basement. Correct. Yes. So we got The Rock's new uh, brand of tequila, uh, Terramana. Well, we got both of them, but we're going to try the Terramana Blanco. Which I believe is Terramana White. I didn't want to make a drink with it because then you wouldn't taste it. But they say it's supposed to be a sipping tequila, but we'll just do a shot anyways. For the record, all tequila should be sipping tequila. There's none you really chug. Oh, pretty good. It's got that little bit of a bite, but you get that nice aguava, like that that node afterward, that little spice node. Like, it's good. I am not a fan of tequila. I'm not a big fan. Te- uh, oh, tequila's not my know. go-to, but... I know what good ones taste like, yeah, but uh, that's no. comparable to Cabo, like Cabo, you know, like from Sammy Hagar and those guys. It's um, your tequila drinker. What do you think? Yeah. So <laughs> that face says a little rough, huh? It's hard to drink. See, for me, I don't shot. like tequila, so for me, so, no matter what, it's rough. So just smelling it before we tried it, I was thinking it smelled like Jose, which I am not a fan of Jose Cuervo at all. Jose, Hate no it. way. You can put it in. A margarita and i could taste it and hate it but this it was a little bit better than jose <laughs> but that's a rave review she's so breathing <laughs> it's like she just did a lap it's not my all favorite. you guys uh like the favorite. chasing thing like you're supposed to like that that's part of it yeah, though, the, the little burn like the little yeah well i'm not a big tequila guy i'm not i'm not a tequila drinker at all it's probably my rock fandom shonen but i just <laughs> i thought it was all right i like well it. you do have the matching hoodie yeah so. In order to chase it, we all got a beer too. What uh, what kind of beer you got? Oh, on the brew, I went with uh, Line and Kugels because uh, a couple casts ago we talked about the the season changing, and uh, this is the grapefruit shandy. Nice. How is it? Good. It's uh, it's got obviously that citrus bite, but it's got a little bit of the tartness that you would get from like a ruby red, like a real grapefruit taste. It's pretty true to. So for people that never had it, if you like grapefruit for real, like you'll like this brew. Uh, Duke. I am on the Lion and Kugels train as well because I'm wearing the hat and they were in the fridge. So I was going to do another one of their shandies, probably their most popular, the summer shandy. I'm rocking the canoe paddle, or however you say that. 
Something it's, German, right? Kolsch. Yeah, it's got dots above letters and shit. So, you know, that's what it is. Tastes like beer. I don't really... Well, if you're I up Shit's Creek, what would you that. want? All right, uh, Lorraine? I have the Soft Parade Shandy, and it's my favorite. Have I had it on before? Uh, Bugs has, I know. Right, Bugs had it, and we've talked about it. Well, it's my favorite. I know I see that we're can around here a up. Lot. Yes, we're shandied up, though. Well, like we, that what? time of year. Lock, big surprise. Uh, what did you go with today? Uh, half-hearted. You know, no. it's always two-hearted or half-hearted. No. And it should be changed at times, but, like, it just... You need to be normal-hearted, man. <laughs> you said there is another tequila we may be trying? Yeah. Little, I think little teaser for the fans. you want more, too. Well, I'm excited to try to, to be a one. Debbie Downer, but maybe we should... Okay, we got over our drinks already. This is the first opening of... Maybe we'll introduce the dude's name of the cast before we do the second <laughs> All right. shot. All right. Jay wants to move on. Let's go. No, I figured... No, I was... before we do our second shot, everybody's like, hey, I already want some more. Like, hey, man, are we going to do another shot? Like, How do you know we're not doing it till we come back from break? Maybe that's when we do the well, second shot. That would further my point. I'm saying, like, we're all asking for second shots before we even... I'm feeling it. I'm at no, the man, fucking he's Home Depot waiting to get this, picked up. Let's get this fucking name, dude. Let's fucking let's go. We're going to go ahead and get started. <laughs> thanks. No, for real, everybody, huh. thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Call back. The bad guy we're going to be covering today is Vincenzo Gibaldi. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Vincenzo. Vincenzo. Now that we got the name, I am ready for another shot. (laughs) Uh, I will say already, I love the name. It's just Vincenzo Gibaldi. He used to have a hair, now he don't. All right, so we got Vincenzo Gibaldi, Vincenzo Gibaldi, a.k.a. Machine Gun Jack McGurn. Oh, man. (laughs) Dude, he has two sweet names, two good names. By the second one, though, I kind of, you know, I... I'm a little familiar with this gentleman. I don't know anything about him except for two sweet names. <laughs> he's, he's just hogging up all the names. Yeah. I don't know which one. Like, usually I would be like, yeah, definitely stick with that uh, nickname. Or why would you do that stupid nickname? Your name's sweet. This guy, I, I mean, I would be with my name. But as soon as somebody calls me Machine Gun Jack McGurn, I'd be like, whoa, the fuck? You got to call me that now? <laughs> we could do a never-ending list of his... Uh, AKAs. But as oh. we, what I'll do is we go through, I'll just kind of throw it in. I hate word. Vincenzo Gibaldi, AKA Machine Gun Jack McGurn. Real quick, nickname in the front. I'm a fan. Yes. Oh, yeah, that is your <laughs> your rule. I don't know, Machine Gun. I feel like there's a lot of machine guns out there. It's the Jack McGurn that really sells it, I think. I think so. Uh, Vincenzo Gibaldi was born July 2nd, 1902, in Lakata City. Lakata, Sicily. At four years old, he immigrated to America with his mother, his little brother, and his eight-year-old uncle. And he joined his father, who had left two years earlier. They arrived on Ellis Island November 24th, 1906, and settled in Brooklyn. Yeah, I've seen Fievel. I know how that goes. <laughs> his father worked double shifts every day, so he was only home to eat and sleep. The stress resulted in health issues, and in the winter of 1911, he got real sick and he passed away. Damn, that didn't take long. Came to America, died. Yeah, worked his ass off and died. So his mom had only, she he was only 19 when she came over. You know, so now she's still fairly young. She's got all these kids. Her husband dies. 
and she ends up getting remarried to a grocer named Angelo DeMori. He was a well-respected man in the neighborhood, and he loved his wife, and he treated her kids like his own. Vincenzo really looked up to him. How long after the dead died? Well, actually not too long, because it kind of seemed like she... They were in love while they were all shopping as a family? No, it seems like she was still a pretty lady, and she was kind of stuck on her own with no husband and nothing to do. Those weren't so... the times to be a single mom. You were probably immediately, that was probably her game plan, it was like... Well, I got to marry I got so many kids. I got one of my little brothers as a kid. In the source, it actually said the other ladies in the neighborhood set him up. They did that in Roll Bounds. Yeah, they did do that. <laughs> <laughs> Vincenzo was a well-behaved, good-looking kid. He was small for his age, but he excelled in all sports and physical endeavors. And he was described as an athletic mimic. He was a good kid, but in Brooklyn, it was important to learn how to fight. Instead of running with gangs, he decided to learn how to box, and he quickly became one of the top amateur boxers in the region. All right, I'm waiting for the turn here, because <laughs> so far, it's like, all right, his dad died. That kind of sucked, but it seemed like an upgrade. Things seem to be going pretty good. <laughs> At his boxing gym, he makes a connection with a guy who gets him a job as a caddy on a local golf course. He learns how to become an exceptional golfer, and... You know, he's this real good-looking, likable kid, so he makes a ton of money and tips. He really learns how to become a good golfer at a young age. It was at the Diker Beach uh, Golf Club in Brooklyn, New York, which is like a famous... Who's his homeboy, Bagger Vance? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Vincenzo was an average student, but he underachieved due to indifference and dropped out of high school after his sophomore year. He got a job working long hours as a dock laborer. And due to the physical labor, he got bigger and considerably stronger, which helped uh, his already promising boxing career. Vincenzo used to work on the docks. <laughs> this turned into a very musical episode. So tequila equals karaoke. <laughs> Say that so we nope. crack the code. Say hello to the bad guy, the musical. <laughs> hello, is it me you're looking for? Jamali. I was a hitman in the mob. <laughs> 1919, there's a lot of economic turmoil after the Spanish flu pandemic that hit the New York area real hard. I know that. how that is. <laughs> <laughs> Angelo found an opportunity and moved his family to the Sicilian neighborhood of Chicago, known as the Patch or Little Sicily, which later will also sometimes be referred to as Little Hell. <laughs> hey, I found us a real good opportunity in Little Hell. You guys want to check well, it out? That's weird because this is in uh, Hell's Kitchen. Wasn't that the heavy mob that's, there? Wasn't that's that? Big Hell. That's... Yeah, that's Big Hell. <laughs> no, that's just the kitchen. This is like little. This is like the the breezeway, the Hell breezeway, if you will. See, I think in New York, Hell's Kitchen. I think that's an Irish neighborhood, though. Is it? I'm pretty sure. Angelo moves to uh, Little Sicily. He opens his own grocery store. Oh, he's a grocery store owner. Yeah. Huh. You stick with what you got you to the dance. Once Vincenzo moves to Chicago, the first thing he does is he finds a gym to train out of. He had a thick Brooklyn accent, street smarts, and he could fight. And this made his assimilation into the new neighborhood easy. See, I love it. They both did what you know, like, hey, let's go to Chicago. What are you going to do? Get a grocery store. What are you going to do? Find a gym? All right. Like, <laughs> new place, same shit. Ready? Break. And that's where he busted into Chicago like it was the prison. Like, he just got on there, like, got tough, and everyone was like, hey, this guy's cool. Hey, here in Chicago, I found this good gym for us. It's the Rocky Marciano gym over here. In Little Sicily. Hey, why is this guy talking all funny? Going from Brooklyn to the Little Sicily area was kind of like big fish go jumping into a small pond. 
Chicago's a small town now to these guys. At that time, it yeah. was. Yeah, fuck your bean. You never seen the Empire State Building? <laughs> oh! He would sometimes associate with local street gangs that served as farm systems for the organized crime, but he focused most of his time on boxing or helping his stepdad at his grocery store. Everything points to good kid. Like, I am really... Jay probably knows the turn. I'm just waiting for it. So far, it's like, yeah, he knows how to box, and uh, he helps his dad out at the store. Good kid. He ain't bad on the fucking golf course either, huh? <laughs> you fucking remember what you heard. Yeah, he'll tell you, you need the 9 iron over here. Let's get a wedge over here. He'll let you know You need exactly. the 9 millimeter over here. Every fucking piece hey. of equipment you might need. Leave the putter. Take the cannoli. <laughs> oh, 1921, at the age of 19, he changed his name to Jack McGurn, since Irish fighters typically got the best bookings. Oh, yeah. Damn. But he already, by the time he changed his name to Jack McGurn, when he came to America, the, his parents wanted to Americanize his names. So his mom wanted him to go by James, and he wouldn't do it. He only insisted by going by Vincenzo, but his mom his whole life called him James or Jimmy. Jimmy Mack. He could have been fucking Jimmy Mack. God damn it. <laughs> well, then his his dad... The real dad or the fake... His no. real dad. So His, <laughs> his fake dad. <laughs> dad. That was a good man. He stepped up there. He treated him like there was his own Lorraine. <laughs> he didn't beat him. Not once, Lorraine. He comes through. He gives him all the groceries. You're over here acting like he's a bad guy. Bread, cans of soup. All that stuff. If that's true, then why did Vincenzo give him a coffee mug? Best stepdad ever. <laughs> so Coffee mugs don't lie. So his real dad, when he got there, wanted to change their name from Gibaldi to Jabardi. Because that's... <laughs> that's a big change. Well, because when Americans pronounced how you say Gibaldi in Sicilian, when, Amer when he would pronounce it, Americans repeat it as Gibaldi. And once his dad passed away, he started using Jabardi, which he'll use most of his life, even though he never legally changed it. And his mom also calls him Jimmy. So by the time he's in Chicago, name-wise, he's pretty fluid because he's Vincenzo Jabardi, but he's Vincenzo Jabardi, but he's also James Jabardi, but he's also, now he changes his name and he's Jack McGurn. Hey, I'm Vincenzo, but my mom calls me James. My dad calls me Jabardi. I call myself Jack McGurn. You can call me anything, just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> I'm just joshing you. I'm Vinny. <laughs> I call you Machine Gun. How's that sound? <laughs> he begins fighting professionally as a welterweight, and he marries a beautiful Sicilian girl named Helen. He was so young looking when he showed up to gyms, they said he'd be mistaken for a child half the time. But when he'd get ready to box, he was like built like a brick shit house. You think that like he changed his name to Jack McGurn to get more boxing matches or whatever. You think like he originated catfishing? Like he just <laughs> showed up to like this guy's a fucking Sicilian. Like Well, I think he's 12. Wait till you see him with yeah. his shirt off. We thought this was a <laughs> We thought this was a grown Irishman. It's a little Italian boy. Now two men that frequented the fights were Johnny Torrio and his protege Al Capone who at the time was dabbling in fight promotion. And this was when Jack McGurn first came to their attention. I know those guys. Not to brag, but I totally heard of Al Capone. <laughs> Groceries. So in, in 1922, his wife Helen gets pregnant, and in need of money, he starts picking up part-time muscle work with the Circus Cafe gang, primarily guarding liquor shipments. 
Now, most of the Little Sicily area was controlled by the Jenna brothers. They were known for setting up stills in people's houses. Like, so they'd force them, like, hey, we're going to set up this liquor still in your band. They call that home shining. And it was also, it was called rock cut liquor. Like, one step above Pruno. Well, and juice. It is like, it's like when you can't make real good distilled liquor, like. Don't they throw, like, turpentine in it and, like, crazy shit? It would make people blind. It would kill people and shit yeah. like that. It was, like, the worst of the worst, like, Some would say it would rat your gut. <laughs> the Rock wouldn't do that. <laughs> the Rock would. Fuck, no, you wouldn't. This tequila's tasting a whole lot better now, yeah. ain't it? Now, they would buy their sugar in bulk from Angelo. When he oh, start... sweet Angelo? <laughs> when Angelo has to start getting more sugar, he orders enough that he starts selling all kinds of other people's sugar. What is this sweet and low, Angelo? We want that pure cane sugar. The Jenna brothers were like super violent, and they basically, as soon as they found out that he'd sold sugar to other gangs also, uh, they got furious, and they sent their enforcement crew a black hand extortionist after him. The old black hand coming at mm. you. It's so weird, because in a mob thing, you think sugar would mean something else, like it's a euphemism, but no, just straight sugar. No, they're literally going to kill him <laughs> over sugar. Yeah. So, sugar wars, baby. <laughs> the Jenna brothers, they get their black hand group, it's ran by Arazio the Scourge Tropia, which sounds like a nice guy, the Scourge. The Scourge. <laughs> On January 8th, 1923, the Scourge and his crew shows up, and they tell him he's got to get out of town. They're like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no, this just sounds like a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. The Scourge and his gang showed up and said, gotta get out of town. His two homeboys, Havoc and fucking Mayhem. <laughs> yeah. Casey Jones gonna show up and beat him up. Angelo refuses, and he stands up to him. On January 8th, 1923, he was murdered in front of his grocery store. Aww. <laughs> No, I don't so have we shouldn't have even worded that in storytelling as like he stands up to him like, well, he didn't listen, so he got killed. His family was referred to as the Jabardi Demore clan. She had the Jabardi kids, and then she had a bunch of kids with Angelo. And when Angelo passed away, she was pregnant. Uh, she was so devastated that she miscarried her baby, and the baby and Angelo were buried together. Oh, that's sad. And he was 19? So in 1923, he'd be 21. And his mom was pregnant? I mean, it's these old Italian families. That's what they did. They would, yeah, they but, would just have kids there. Yeah, didn't she have him real young? So she's about 38 or so. Uh, she, she's not real. She had him at 15. She's and a, she was already taking care of her little brother was only a few years older than he was. Yeah. So. Four years older. They had a whole weird generation gap thing going on in that family. After 1923, with a record of three wins, one loss, and two draws, Jack McGurn never fought professionally again. He, he was now the primary breadwinner for two families, and he threw himself headfirst into the gang life, even though he would, for the rest of his life, con continue his strict training regimen. Like when Rocky was training hard and he would break thumbs for Homeboy on the weekend, like Rocky went boxing heavy and kind of left the mob. This guy kind of left the gym and said, I like the breaking thumbs. It pays better. I don't have a dad. I'm pissed off now. I yeah. lost two dads. Fucking Angelo, that, that prick. He should have just bowed down, said, eh, I'm sorry, shouldn't have gave him the sugar. Then old Vinny could have been boxing champ. Honestly, his boxing career was starting to... Uh, Become kinda... mediocre. So at one point, he was still undefeated, but he had two draws. And what happened, as he got up against like uh, higher-ranked guys, and the the rounds went from six to eight rounds... He tend to fade in fights. 
now you'll read some things where people will say that like oh he had to leave boxing because he had a glass chin or some people say that like oh he he didn't do good because he didn't have the heart to fight but what it honestly seems like in hindsight like you know conor mcgregor gasses a lot yeah he didn't have a good gas tank this guy like like fast twitch athletes it's a different type of muscle group it's an explosive just like tyron woodley a lot of these guys it it takes an adjustment and sometimes you gotta adjust your game to where you don't gash yourself like that because the fat you know that fast twitch muscle athletes it's like sprinting 24 7 and you got to kind of learn how to pull it back a little bit word because it always seemed like he was a guy that always did great and then just faded as fights went on so jack mcgurn rapidly ascends to a leadership position with the circus cafe gang eventually acting as a mentor for future outfit prodigy tony accardo now tony accardo is a guy we did an episode on so yeah it sounded familiar I know him. We won't get it too into it, but I recommend you go back and check out that episode, and then that would tie into be, this one and be like a, a supplement to the Jack McGurn story. We're creating a whole bad guy universe, <laughs> only it's the real world. We're not creating. It's like it's a true story. <laughs> Turns out Al Capone's in this one. How do our the, writers do that? He's in the BGU, the bad guy universe. Like. <laughs> the BGU. By 1924, he was working security enforcement for the Chicago outfit. Al Capone loved Jack McGurn. They were both young, charismatic. They both liked to golf, and they both were like fancy dressers. Pinstripe well, suits. No, the difference was they both were fancy. They both wore high-end tailored suits, but Capone liked to wear like pinstripes, and he wore like a lot of purples and greens. Jack McGurn was also dressed flashy, but he wore a lot like more like blues Black and grays and, and stuff. But his thing was he'd always he wore a lot of three piece suits, which is are inherently a little more fancy, but he'd always wear like colorful ties. So he'd wear like more of an understated suit, a nice suit. Do you then... think they drew colors? Like like, <laughs> all right, I get purple and green. You can get grays and blues. <laughs> what about ties? Eh, I mean go nuts. Do what you want to do. By now everybody calls him Jack, except at home. He's there, both... he's James. Yes. Jimmy. Jimmy. He calls himself Vincenzo, his mom calls him Jimmy, and the rest of the world calls him Jack McGurn. He calls himself Vincenzo, like, hey, Vincenzo, no, that's just mine. (laughs) But I just, like, he started Jack McGurn because he wanted to pretend to be Irish to get more fights. Now he's in with the Sicilians, they're not going to call him Vincenzo, they're going to stick with the Irish one. Well, because it was just what he was known by. He was just known on the streets as Jack McGurn. At one point when he was boxing, it became uh, Battling Jack McGurn. Nice. Was he like a local celebrity? Well, yeah, he was a neighborhood kid. I didn't do crime. He was a good fella. Like, I know who it was. Well, I mean, everyone knew who Al Capone was, too. Yeah, outside of those guys, those gangsters were the next big celebrities besides that, kind of. I mean, we all remember the opening of Goodfellas, the whole, they just get respect. I just wanted to be one of them. After uh, Al Capone realized that Jack McGurn, after he seen that he still trained like a professional fighter, he built a gym in his base operations and started making his other muscle guys and enforcers work out <laughs> regularly. You gotta be like him. If you're gonna do gang shit that is mainly all enforcer shit, they should all be training. Why are these not like the most badass people out there? On April 1st, 1924, the oldest Capone brother, Frank, put in charge of the hard campaigning efforts of the Cicero elections to ensure their candidates were put into office. So the gangsters pretty much running wild. They would beat people on the street. They would stand outside of voters' booths and, like, check your vote before you were able to vote. And, you know, (laughs) they would go smash up campaign offices. It wasn't an option to let their guys lose the elections. 
So they deputized they deputized 70 off-duty police officers and sent them in the area to straighten out the gangsters that were out there, straighten out the voters. They gathered a posse. Yes, in the 1900s. And you get deputized. And you get deputized. Everyone's getting deputized. <laughs> the deputies end up getting a shootout and killing Frank Capone. Now, El Capone was devastated. He fell into a depressed, drunken bender that took him weeks to get out of. This is when him and Jack got close. Uh, I seen a quote that said he became like an adopted Capone brother. I lost a brother. You're now my brother. <laughs> well, you're my dad. <laughs> I got an Irish brother now. What's probably crazy is one of those drunken stupors, you know, he was all drunk. You can't be my brother now. <laughs> you like suits. I like suits. We never even wear the same cool tie. You're my brother, man. I tell people. We we wanna we wanna make booze in your bathtub, and they tell me no, but you're like, and then they totally do, cause they don't do it. You beat them up, man. You're such a good brother. <laughs> that was an actual quote. We had a transcript that we had, <laughs> and people say there's no audio of Al Capone. Yeah, thanks for reading that for us. Jack McGurn becomes one of the only guys in Capone's inner circle that goes and eats dinner at his house. Teresa Capone and Josephine DeMore become close friends, basically like close friends for the rest of their lives. 1925, in retaliation by the Northside gang for the murder of Dion O'Banion, they attempt to hit on Johnny Torrio. Now, despite hitting him in the chest, stomach, and throat, Torrio lives but decides to retire and hands control of the Chicago outfit to 26-year-old Al Capone. So wait, they hit him three times, one in the throat. Where else did they hit him? Chest, Chest. stomach, and throat. Well, goddamn, that's like, like, I don't know where else we were supposed to shoot him, man. <laughs> so Al Capone takes over, and for a long time, Al Capone had been chomping at the bit to, some of, to get at some of these other gangs, but Johnny Torrio was, Johnny Torrio was more business first, and Al Capone was ready to go. So when he hands the reins over to Al Capone, this is debatably the beginning of the Chicago Beer Wars. That's probably why he liked old Jack McGurr, because... He's like, well, yeah, you don't tell us no, fuck you up. Yeah. Like, he was ready for action. Hey, you, you down to go beat these guys up? Yeah, I'm down. Like, you know what? I like you. Yeah. I tell him that that's why you're my brother, man. <laughs> War breaks out all over the Chicago area. On October 30th, 1925, McGurn gets arrested for the first time on carrying a concealed weapon. His lawyers get him out of jail immediately, and he gets sentenced to a year of probation. His probation officer was able to contact him on one out of five attempts and then just quit trying. <laughs> I don't have time for this. Yeah, who's got time for this shit? Uh, there's a very important organization called the Union Siciliana. Now, this controlled the Italian vote through Chicago, and Capone usually controlled it. Randomly, the leader of the Jenna Brothers, who was already at war with, with the Northside gang, took over the Union when their leader, Bloody Angelo Jenna, made himself president of the Union. Just sort of summarize to connect the dots here. Those brothers are the ones that killed old Jackie McGurn's dad. And now they took over his drunk brothers. Shit. Old Jack McGurn really hates these brothers. That would be correct. Smart. Al Capone gives Jack McGurn the green light to take out the Scourge Tropia's crew. Jack, for the first time in his life, has to put together his own crew of guys. And he starts with Johnny Armando, who was another young, flashy kid. He was uh, 5'4", 120 pounds, and he grew up doing muscle works for Jewish gangsters. 5'4", <laughs> what is he, a little Wolverine? <laughs> you know, that, that's what he did. Oh, I got the green light? 
I'm rounding up a crew. <laughs> We're hitting the gym. Al Capone's like, you got another 12-year-old? <laughs> yeah, you got another 12-year-old? He just keeps on getting little guys. February 15th, Arazio the Scourge Tropia was killed on the street when a car pulled up and unloaded a shotgun into him. February 23rd, his driver and right-hand man were also both found shot to death and dumped on the street. They were also found with the revolvers dumped next to him, which would become eventually kind of a signature move. Jack McGurn was a big fan of just dropping his guns at the crime scene. With the gun bandits. Get it? <laughs> no, Marv. Let's stop doing that. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. <laughs> At the same time, within a 48-day time frame, three of the Jenner brothers were killed, two by Northside gangsters, and one in a shootout with the police. They're like, ah, fuck, we'll let the police get this one. The one that got shot in the shootout with the police, when the ambulance showed up to help him, he kicked the ambulance driver and said, take that, you son of a bitch. <laughs> right on. I do it myself. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I like that. So Get your hands off me. I heard about those medical bills. <laughs> yeah, give me the bandage. I'll take a bus to the hospital. <laughs> me to die. Ambulances are a scam. <laughs> On March 2nd, Jack McGurn survives a shootout. Now, he doesn't get hurt or in legal trouble, but for the first time, the press recognize him as Jack McGurn the boxer and reports him as a gangster. Was he in a shootout with stormtroopers? <laughs> <laughs> Was it hurt? <laughs> this was reported to be the Gussenberg brothers, which were hitmen for the Northside gang. And the Northside gang notoriously are some stormtrooper shooters. They made a career out of their thing was out of missing. Yes, really, they did. They, their thing was shoot from. Oh, they yeah. were like drive-by guys, and they would just dump a ton of bullets kind of randomly and just miss all the time. <laughs> I just Tommy gun came out. So. Weird. Their stats improved. Let's go out here shooting and really scare them. Let them know we mean business. Is that in that other story at the restaurant? They shot like thousands of bullets and nobody yeah, was. Yeah, no nobody bad. was. Like, what the fuck? Like, how does that happen? That's such a weird thing to be known for. Okay, so that actually happened on September 20th when the Northside gang shot up the Hawthorne Inn in Cicero uh, while Capone was there. They sent through a convoy of cars that shot hundreds of bullets into the hotel. <laughs> Three people were hit. One gangster was hit in the shoulder. A kid was shot in the knee. And then a lady wasn't shot, but something blew up into her eye. <laughs> and a lady wasn't shot, but they are real close. <laughs> no, she I love that she heard noise. it. I just love that 20 million car. Like a big old convoy goes by. But blah, 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 blah. But goes, you good? You good? Like, yeah, I kind of got hit in the shoulder, but I'm good. You good? Like... Ah, a little kid kind of got winked. The fuck? The little kid got hit in the knee, so if it was an adult, you got their ankle. Good job. <laughs> Prior to that, on August 10th, four Capone gunmen attacked a Northside boss, Jaime Weiss, and one of his top guys when they were entering a building. And the same thing basically happened the other way. Weiss seen him coming, and it turned into a giant shootout in the middle of the street where nobody got hit. But they had <laughs> shot it out for minutes in the middle of the street. Uh, when the police showed up, Jaime Weiss's homie was trying to jump on the board of uh, the running boards of a taxi cab, telling it to chase the guys in the cars. <laughs> and well, so that shootout was known as the Battle of the Standard Oil Building. I think they're using the term battle, like, pretty loosely. <laughs> so around this time, McGurn goes to Capone, and he asks him for an opportunity to show him what he has. He says, look, I'm ready to move up the ladder. Let me take care of Jaime Weiss. We're not doing a good job with this. I can take care of this. And Jaime Weiss is also known as the only guy that Capone was ever afraid of. So he's like, all right, well, fuck it. Let's see what you got. 
McGurn develops what would eventually become a signature style. He rents out two rooms across the street from the Northside Gang hideout that covered both sides of the entrance. He spent weeks surveilling the area and everyone that comes and goes, and they convert those two lookout posts to machine gun nests. On October 11th, 1926, while Jaime Weiss was returning to his headquarters at Sheffield's flower shop with his driver, his bodyguard, attorney, and a private investigator, McGurn and another gunman opened up with a Thompson submachine gun and a shotgun. Weiss was hit 10 times and dead on the spot. His bodyguard was shot 15 times and killed. All three of the other men were also hit and wounded. The Thompson used in the murder was found left on the top of a dog kennel one block away. Jack, not a stormtrooper, McGurn. Uh, 1926 ends as the most deadly year of Prohibition Wars with 76 gangsters being murdered in Chicago. Jack McGurn was a primary suspect in eight of them. He was also arrested that year on another weapons charge and for intimidating voters, both of which were thrown out. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a smoke break and refill our drinks and we'll be back in a minute. for listening just real quick want to ask you to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app go to apple itunes give us a five-star rating and leave us a review and we'll read it on the show if you have any questions comments or a guy that you would recommend we cover you can email us at say hello to the bad guy podcast at gmail.com we also want to thank sixfo sueno for letting us use his music in the intro you can subscribe to him on youtube and also a friend of the show cancer He's got an art, photography, and graphic design page at Eyes Bleed Defiance on Instagram. You can see a lot of his work, including our cover art, which he designed. And he also performed the mid-show song, Blood, from his album, Grenades, Pistols, and Rape Whistles. Now back to the show. Alright, and we're back. Alright, so now we got this other Terramana shot. And this is the Terramana Reposado. We're going to try this. The gold. Smoother than the Blanco. Yeah, I think I prefer that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, still might say I'm take on tequila, but... <laughs> well, it's, the, it's definitely got an aftertaste. Like, it's... When I first drank it, I'm like, oh, that's good. But it it's, it sticks with you. Yeah, that, that really sneaks up on you. That really 
Woo, <laughs> on the back end, that'll get you. I would like to mix no. a drink with those. Now, you said it because I did the whole Terramata Blanca. That's what is Reposada. That means gold in Spanish. Word. See, we're a bilingual podcast. We... J Bone habla espanol. See, <laughs> see. <laughs> What's uh, Lorraine, the resident tequila expert on the field? I don't think I'm an expert. But in in our crew, you're our yeah. expert. Unless you want to be the expert, Jay. I don't know if you no, know how no, court, I, court I works. I think understand the taste and the nodes. Like the, to me, the aguava plant, the blue aguava, what it's derived from, it's like a like a eucalyptus that you can drink. That burn is different than um like a whiskey burn. You know the rye yeah. and the mash. It's... Oh, it's definitely a little different. All right, so we'll get back <laughs> at it. Uh, when we left off, uh, we just had left the. Uh, the most violent year of the Prohibition Wars. But the most fancy dead bodies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you check out the Instagram, you'll get these jokes. Oh, we could have did that all day with the fancy bodies, man. Like uh, these pro- Chicago Prohibition Wars, there was fancy bodies about. Oh, yeah. you, for those at home, just Google fancy bodies. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't do that because no. you won't like what comes on your computer screen. Your computer will freeze up. Oh, they'll be fancy. Okay. Who doesn't so, like it? So Jack McGurr becomes uh, Capone's general. He starts off with beefing up the personal security, uh, leaning heaviest on his former protege, Tony Accardo. He starts, uh, he starts to develop a street intelligence network. Oh, he becomes the master of whispers? He's the mob whisperer. <laughs> He's the mob whisperer. This pays off uh, 1927. This guy, Joey Aiello, he tries to, uh, he was a gentle loyalist, and he tried to put a $50,000 hit out on Capone. Who the fuck do you think he is, huh? Well... <laughs> A mobster? Oh. He's Joey A. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it kind of brings in these mobsters, you know, from out of town. His intelligence network, they picked up on, like, some of the guys within hours of them showing up in Chicago. Uh, within a matter of three weeks, three out-of-town hitmen were identified by spotters and killed within hours. Over the next few months, Jack McGurn gets his third and fourth weapons charge, and he gets arrested and re- arraigned for the murder of Dominic Cinderella. <laughs> That's a bad name. <laughs> You're gonna lose in a gang war if your name's Dominic Cinderella. It's even worse if he wore yellow suits. <laughs> he had a bunch of stepbrothers. They didn't treat him right. Okay. His shoes gave him away. Those clear slippers. He was he waiting for that glass Cadillac to show up. He uh, always left his wingtip shoes everywhere he went. He gets off on all the charges. But he's now regularly arrested because they know anytime they arrest him, he's always has a gun on him and he's not allowed to. So he could always get a gun charge. And they also come up with a thing called vagrancy, which basically means they came up with a a weird definition to where any gangster technically qualified as a vagrant. So they could pick him anytime (laughs) they want. It's wingtip shoes. Right. Who said he's not allowed to have a gun? His probation officer? can't get a hold of him. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. He tried once, the other five times, nothing. You can have a gun. I can't get a hold of you. Yeah. <laughs> At this point in time, he's known as, he can have a gun, Jack McGurn. <laughs> have a gun. Well, I mean, if I don't have the gun on me, how am I going to leave it behind? <laughs> Is he still doing the leaving revolvers behind, or did he give that up? No, he, he do, he'll do that. He was the trendsetter. I'm going to do this to my dying day. All that followed him started doing that, hey, too. One of his... But you didn't even shoot him with a revolver. You just a Tommy gun. It doesn't matter. Revolver gets left. Okay, at the Jaime Weiss murder, where he set up two machine gun nests, they only used one. The other one, they left the clean guns there because right. he said it'd take the hit on the guns as opposed to get guys getting popped leaving, like the guys that didn't even shoot him off, getting popped leaving and shit. 
So once they were done, the guys at in the other nest, they just left their guns there and left. So he was just a, a gun-leaving-ass motherfucker. <laughs> he used guns like people use burner phones. Like, <laughs> he just leaves them off. He, every time he got arrested, he got arrested with either a 32 revolver or a 38 revolver. And most of the ones he suspected in, they left revolvers everywhere. Like, And none of them are tied to each other. Like, So he literally was using them like burners. Socially, Jack McGurn wasn't a fan of the Southside gambling dens. He was a good dancer, and he liked to hang out in the Northside jazz clubs, despite always having to be on alert because he hung out <laughs> in the enemy territory and shit. Hey, you know, I work hard, I play hard. When I'm out on the streets, it's all business. I get in the club, and I got on my dancing shoes. I'm Irish. I'm Jack McGurn. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, I'm dancing Jack McGurn. <laughs> dancing Jack McGurn in my fancy pants. He frequented and may have been a partial owner of a Northside speakeasy and jazz club known as the Green Mill. He was such a silent partner that he may have not owned it at all. November 1927, there's this guy. He's like a singer-performer. did like a vaudeville act named uh, Joe E. Lewis, and he was a regular at the Green Mill. He decided to take his act to a, new, a different place called the New Rendezvous Cafe. Ooh, that's like selling sugar to another gang. <laughs> Jack McGurr recommends he doesn't do it, and he does it anyways. And on November 9th, in his hotel room, he was pistol-whipped and stabbed in the jaw and the throat, which severed his tongue. He survived, but he had to learn how to talk again. It took him a decade to get back to the success level. He eventually became like a successful entertainer again, but his voice was never the same. Early morning on New Year's Day, 1928, McGurn and Johnny Armando start off the year by murdering Dutch Carpenter, who strangled with piano wire. You know, just kick off the year. New year, new, new murder. It was possibly the first murder of 1928, because they literally killed him, like, At after, midnight. after New Year's Eve. <laughs> Three, two, one, happy! <laughs> Invention of ball dropping. <laughs> then, uh, two months later, uh, two of them killed Isidore Goldberg on February 14th, Valentine's Day. And this is 1928? Yeah. Didn't he, like, start all this in 1922 or something when he joined the gang? So this is in all, 23. like... Stepdad yeah. died in 23, and that's when he got started. Big five years here. Big yeah, five big years. five years. He just jumped in all the way. That's, hey, I give him credit. He jumped in entry-level intern, fucking <laughs> jumped up to being Al Capone's brother, and now he's the general starting fucking running such a silent partner. He may not even own the green mill. Who knows, you know? But he I'm will not telling. He will stab their comedian if he wants to tell a joke at a different place. Yeah. Which is so crazy because his dad or stepdad got stabbed up and killed for selling sugar to another gang. That's when he's like, fuck this shit. And like, and now he's stabbing people for singing at a different <laughs> club. You become what you hate. Remember Good Jack, the dock worker? Yeah. What happened, what happened to that boy, Vincenzo? He no longer works on the dock. At this point, when he's getting arrested regularly... Every time, I didn't write them all down, he used some... Different AKA? Well, the reason I say it's infinite, because he would just take Vincenzo, Gerbardi, so it'd be like James Vincent, Gerbardi James, James DeMore. Like, he just would rotate those handful of names and, like, just... But it'd always be, like, the same... He, like, Dr. Seuss it with, uh, green, with uh, green eggs and ham, like, all right, I can make 2,500 different identities <laughs> for three words. It's, that's literally what he did. <laughs> that's did you say Jabardi? No, I said Jabardi. <laughs> <laughs> a pickup for a machine gun Jabardi? 
pick up for Machine Gun Jabari. No, I'm Revolver Jabari today. You know, he was named Fluid, is what he is. Every day he just woke up, somebody knew. Today I'm Vinnie James. I seen a resource that still has him listed as James Demora because he was listed on a census because his mom called him Jimmy and she was a Demora because she was remarried. And the census just was like, okay, well then I guess his name is James Demora. Big uh, little fun fact. Half the names on Wikipedia, this guy. (laughs) (laughs) March 7th, uh, McGurn and another man are spotted at the McCormick Hotel smoke shop by Northside hitman Pete and Frank Gussenberg. They pull up and they shoot the place up with a Thompson and a 1911. Oh, Frank and Pete. Was anyone (laughs) hit? Well, they both got shot, but they both lived. (laughs) So McGurn was shot in the right lung and his right shoulder. All right, that should have taken him out, right in the lung. I'll give him credit. Well, he got rushed to the hospital. He almost died. Police were trying to interrogate him. He refused to talk without his lawyers present. And eventually they just had to rush him off to surgery or he's going to die on the table. While recovering, Press frequently would camp out around his bed. They had a picture of him and he was real young looking. And they had one picture where they had, they had the blankets pulled up like to his chin and the doctors were giving medicine and he looked like a little kid. So they posted a picture that said wistful boy gangster. <laughs> One of the things the other reported, they were trying to ask him who shot him. And he was quoted saying, Nobody fucking shot me. That's who. He said, I know who plugged me, but that's my business. I'll attend to it myself if I can ever get up. Yeah, Takashi69, take fucking notes. <laughs> <laughs> that line was braced by the media. His good looks, thick Brooklyn accent, and adherence to the gangster code became the influence of many film gangsters, including James Cagney. <clears throat> Oh, so he invented the no snitching rule? He let everybody know that it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he Christopher Columbus did. <laughs> You're right. He was released within two weeks and was back on the streets. But they still charged him with vagrancy and disorderly conduct. And he had a gun. <laughs> He's got, he's got to go back to court for vagrancy for getting shot. No, <laughs> he's got to go back to court for getting shot. So Why'd he, you get in the way of the bullet? <laughs> So he goes back to court on April 17th, and the charges were dropped. But while he was leaving the courthouse, he got ambushed by a carload of gunmen. What? With machine guns. Wait, he got ambushed? The guy's name is Carlo the Gunman? <laughs> a carload of gunmen. <laughs> oh, I thought you said he got ambushed by Carlos the Gunman. <laughs> Fucking Carlo. He's got all those guns. Like, wow, they really got to the point with that nickname. I wonder what Carlos the Gunman does for a living. <laughs> no, Monday through Friday, right. he's Carlos the Poolman, but then on the weekends, he's Carlos the Gunman. <laughs> Jack McGurn went into his gun box. I mean, he went into his glove box. This fucking tequila, man. <laughs> That's what they used in the 30s. That's what they used to call the card, the little box. It wasn't the glove, but it was the gun box. Listen here, Dwayne Johnson. Your tequila is fucking awesome. (laughs) We take it back. We take it back. I keep a fifth in my gun box. (laughs) Anyway, so he runs with a strap. He escapes unscathed, but now he's a constant target for Northside gangsters and police and press. So the press love him, so anytime they see him, they take pictures of him. Anytime Northside gangsters see him, they try and shoot him up. Like, literally every time they see him, they try to shoot him up. The police, anytime they see him, they know they can pick him up with either a piece. Or the, now they don't even need a piece. They could just pick him up for vagrancy. So they just, wherever he goes, he's just got. They get a police raid on his headquarters. They found a loaded Thompson and two 1911s with a bunch of ammunition. They take him to court. And he told the reporters that he needed the guns for protection and that he was out of that life now, and now he was a real estate dealer. 
Yeah, if anytime you go to the store, this gang is going to shoot at you, like, yeah, you kind of do need a gun. Those charges get thrown out, but now he pretty much couldn't do anything. He laid low playing golf. He still got arrested several times in question regarding murders, but nothing ever stuck. He suspected the Gussenbergs in the recent assassination attempt, and he asked Capone to let him just take out the gang once and for all. Capone says, all right, fuck it. Go ahead. Take him out. So he's going to take out the whole north side. That's the game plan. His hits worked because he planned them out. You see all these other ones that, like, they hear where a guy is and they show up and shoot that building up. He came up with plans and... Pre-staking Yeah, did some surveillance, put a little effort into it. It's the same thing he did earlier where they couldn't kill Jaime Weiss. He had to say, like, hey, you want me to kill Jaime Weiss? Spent a month there before even shooting, like, just seeing what's going on. It's one of those things, like we said, where it just seems like common sense after the fact of, yeah, you scope out, you see their routines, then you get a clear shot, you know where their weakness is. Like, there's a lot of things in history, like, once they figure it out, it's like, well, yeah, that's how you would do it. It's common sense now, but back in the day, they're probably like, you're just going to watch them for a couple of days? That's dumb. Ain't why nobody you... got time for that. Yeah, why don't you just go in there and try to shoot them? What do you mean you're going to watch them? The first step was getting Al Capone out of town for months in advance as an alibi. So he sends Al Capone down to his um, Miami estate. During this time, while he's frequenting the Northside Jazz Bar, he meets a beautiful blonde 22-year-old named Louise Rolfe. She is a former model, an aspiring Hollywood starlet and chorus girl, and the two of them fall in love. But isn't he married? Yep. What? On November 22nd, he leaves his wife and daughter for Louise Rolfe. This son of a bitch. It's a dirtball. <laughs> so this is Louise Rolfe. What? She's a real flapper. Yeah. Over the next couple months, while he's putting his plan together, him and Louis Rolfe, they go on the road. They travel to Miami and spend time with Capone golfing and partying. They go back to Chicago, to Jacksonville, to Biloxi, Mississippi. How old is he right now? So this is 1928, so he'd be 26 years old. I wonder if this is their version, because life expectancy is a little lower. Like he's having a little mini midlife crisis. Yeah, how old like is he? He just, fuck my wife, when I got this hot little model bitch, I'm going to go play golf, party it up. How old is his daughter when he decided to abandon her? So she would be six. It's horrible. Daughter would be six. He yeah. lost his dad and then his stepdad. He's a dick. Why? Because his father's got murdered? Because <laughs> he knew what it was like to be without a dad, and he left his kid for this bitch. Well, you see that for a coat she's got on? <laughs> she's got Betty Davis eyes. <laughs> uh, they end up settling at the high-end Stevens Hotel back in Chicago on January 30th under an alias. Two weeks later, on February 14th, what is now known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre occurs. Two guys disguised as policemen and two in plain clothes lined up seven men at the SMC Cartage Warehouse. They lined them up against the wall and opened fire with two Thompson machine guns and two shotguns. Two of the men killed were Pete and Frank Gussenberg, but Bugs Moran was not present. We're not going to get too into the St. Valentine's Day Massacre because we did the Killer Burke podcast, so you could listen to that one. Like, that covers it pretty good, I would say. But I think we beat that to death, right? I mean, this that's is a whole basic. episode of calling out other episodes for you guys yeah. to check out. You guys got some homework to do. <laughs> We're building the universe. <laughs> yeah, it's the, this is the BGU, yeah. okay? Also known as history. Because these are true stories, so. <laughs> so we won't get too into it on the specific side. Like, you know, the tactics of it or whatever. But what really set him apart, like the first level was he made sure that Al Capone was out of town with the alibi. He made sure he had an alibi. He used out-of-town shooters, and he used out-of-town guys as lookouts. 
So even before you get into it being planned out, like the details of the plan, just the overall scheme is pretty complicated. Super detailed. You yeah. almost think this guy would have a military background the way that he ran shit. Yeah. I think it's discipline from boxing is my guess. Yeah, but it's a, to know the stakeout thing, to do this whole alibi thing, like that's like military strategic shit. When he was a little kid, like, his dad was never around because, like, when he was working, before he died, he was, was always working and shit. Real little, his mom would tell him these stories, and all she knew was, like, these Sicilian fairy tales and shit. It was something about the scorpion, and it was, uh, only a dumb elephant marches off the war, a scorpion hides in the shoe. And his mom used to tell him this? Yes. I'm going to teach is... my kids that. Mm. <laughs> very crazy. His mom was an assassin? It's a, a very pro- weird thing to just tell your children all the time. Well, it was a Sicilian proverb or some shit, like... They were leaving Sicily to get away from, like, the black hand and these blood feuds and stuff like that. But then when she gets here with the kid, that's all she knows. So, like, uh, let me tell you a story about Sicilian vengeance. All right, how about this scorpion story? She ran away from Sicily and taught him how to be a Sicilian here. Immediately after the St. Valentine's Day massacre, they start looking for Jack McGurn. They finally locate him at the Stevens Hotel on February 27th. They access his room disguised as room service and arrest the couple. The press is all over. Room service? You order the handcuffs? (laughs) You're poached indictments here, sir. (laughs) Press is all over the St. Valentine's Day massacre and Jack McGurn. Now they got him in custody. And the police are doing press conferences saying that they have the evidence to convict him. And he for sure did it. So Louise is more than happy to pose for pictures and talk to the press. And ultimately, she tells authorities that Jack couldn't be involved because he was in bed with her. They could never press charges on him on the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Because she said so? <laughs> he was banging me silly, so <laughs> there's no way he could have been machine gunning them guys. There's no way he was over there doing them crimes. He was muffing my box. <laughs> so, after this, the press dubbed her the Blonde Alibi. Oh, the blonde. my goodness. The Blalibi, as we called it. <laughs> Can we hear her story next? <laughs> <laughs> The police are furious that they can't, they don't got the evidence to convict, but they want to get him on something. So they find out that... Vagrancy and he has a revolver. Well, they found out that they had been bouncing around from state to state prior to that popping up, you know? And based on the fact that he was still married, they arrested them both and charged them with white slavery in violation of the Mann Act. What is that? What the Mann Act is, is originally it was to fight prostitution and human trafficking. (laughs) You whore. <laughs> Somewhere in the language, it says transport of any woman for the purpose of prostitution or debauchery or for any other immoral purpose. Mm. So any other immoral purpose gets in this sticky ground. And this is still in prohibition time where it's like these temperance, real religious guys and shit. It's been applied in other situations. Now, I could have went through a bunch of them, but heavyweight champion Jack Johnson was convicted of the same charge, which was pardoned by President Trump in 2018 because he had left, went from state to state with a white lady. And they just couldn't stand him. He was the heavyweight champ. He's beating everybody up. And uh, they're like, let's get him on something. And they were like, well, he's not married to that chick. And they're going from state to state. And that's immoral. So That's fucked up. So yeah. they really busted him for fucking different area codes. Like, yeah. That's what happened. Well, L- Ludacris, those... you know how much trouble ah, Ludacris would have? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because they stayed and he didn't transport them. Yeah, he transported himself it's, to those area yeah, codes. It's, he has hoes in different areas. I got a hoe that I transport to different area codes. Ludacris is the pioneer. He broke the Man Act. Yep. Yeah. Luda. He found the loophole of the loophole. <laughs> 
everybody's like, there's no way this is going to fucking work. You can't charge them with white slavery. But they do it, and that's what they go with. So they figure, like, we just need a little bit more time to find some evidence. Like, but do you know us? We've been busting people for vagrancy. You think we won't bust them for fucking this bitch across county line? They bring in this forensic expert to uh, help solve the Valentine's Day, St. Valentine's Day massacre. This guy ends up living in Chicago because they have, once he's there, they're like, well, dude, we need so much forensic done. You can just get a, a spot here. You're going to be here a while. Take off your coat. So they gave him case files for all the usual suspects that they want looked into. And one of them was Jack McGurn, who at the time was a primary suspect in 16 murders. So February 1st, 1930, a private investigator named Julius Rosenheim was shot to death by two men a block from his house. Mm. Now, police discovered Jack McGurn and Tony Accardo in a taxi near the area. Both were carrying and both were arrested on weapon charges. While Jack McGurn was getting out of court, the reporters asked him if he knew Rosenheim was dead. And he gave the press one of their favorite quotes, one of the favorite Prohibition era quotes when he said, Dead? I didn't even know he was sick. Now Jack's under investigation for the St. Valentine's Day massacre. He's fighting these Man Act charges. Now he's got a new weapon charge. So the outfit tells him to lay low. He buys a house in a fancy Oak Park suburb. He marries Louise Rolfe. And he spends most of his time golfing. Him being out the game really shows. In the 1930s, the second Jack McGurn kind of steps back from the enforcement. It shows. And they're back to just random gunfights in the middle of the street and shit like that. Nobody getting hit. They're just they're back to Stormtrooper in. So they're out there playing Stormtrooper in the middle of Chicago. But when Joey Aiello shows back up, once more vying for the Sicilian Union presidency and control of the old Jenna territory, Capone needs Jack to step back in and take care of it. He does a signature style. He rents three rooms on two different floors across the street, covering both sides of the entrance, setting up three shooters' nests. On October 23rd at 8 o'clock at night when Aiello showed up. Now, this one, they ended up camping out there for two weeks. Oh. I just, we sort of skipped over, but I almost imagined it in, like, Rambo, what is Rambo 2, where he's, like, off in the distance, like, he gave up on, like, we need you back. <laughs> we need you back for this special mission, Ram John. <laughs> Nobody can hunt him down like you can. Now like, he's he now Jack McGurn's in Vietnam with a fucking bow and arrow and shit. No, I don't even kill any people anymore. That's not me. I'm Vincenzo. I'm not even Jack anymore. Look here, they's drew first blood. They's drew first blood. We know you're Vincenzo, but we need you to be Jack again, kid. <laughs> no, I'm trying to be James. Help my mother. So uh, October 23rd, Riello shows up. He gets out of a taxi, and they open up on him with a Thompson. He runs around the corner, and he ran into the other shooter's nest, which opened Whoa. up on him, too. He ended up dying with over 30 bullets in his body. I'll be safe in here. <laughs> Not today, kid. Jack McGurn's actually found over in the area. They arrest him and unable to prove anything. They issue a vagrancy warrant, <laughs> which he refuses to show up for because he claims he's not a vagrant. Just ask my profs. How many times he got busted for vagrancy? He's just like, wait, I ain't no fucking vagrant. Not this time. No, fool me 32 times, shame on me. Jack and Louise are both convicted of white slavery. And they appeal it and get convicted again. So they end up spending years appealing... And they ended up appealing all the way to the Supreme Court. They go to the Supreme Court. It's actually, there's a precedence on it. It's Gerbardi versus United States. 
And it's funny because Jabardi was never technically never his, name. his name. He's never. never changed it to that. So so he married her. At she, this point, he's confused. She she changed her name to Louis Jabardi. And <laughs> what? That's not even. So they got married. It was Louis Rolf. And she got married. And it's like, yeah, Louis Jabardi. He's in it's, court like, your honor, that's ain't even me. Maybe this Vincenzo Gibaldi, maybe he's a vagrant. Not, not me. But Vincenzo Gibaldi, I ain't no vagrant. Anyways, once the, when they get it, once they get it to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court throws it out, mostly because it comes out that they never expected to convict, and it was kind of a placeholder to like find evidence on the St. Valentine's Day massacre. <laughs> wow, well, they really ran that to the end, didn't they? They did. Well, because everybody knew that from the beginning, but they just still just kept saying. He was married, and he's with this other girl. Immoral. Bam. Conviction stands. Well, and then they bring her in the court, and she's posing for pictures and shit. Like, talking about, no, we was in bed together. They're like, fuck you. Guilty. <laughs> and that's technical judicial jargon. <laughs> You're an immoral vagrant. While he's, you know, he's been fighting these court cases, and he's arrests. He really can't go out on the street. During that same time, Al Capone had been convicted of tax evasion. Got in prison. And he left Frank Nitti in charge. Now, Frank Nitti never liked McGurn. He thought he was a flashy hotshot gangster when they met him. Before they even, like, really, before he was even, like, Machine Gun Jack McGurn, he thought, like, oh, this guy's a flashy asshole. I don't like his fucking gray and blue suits. I don't like his fucking ties. I don't like the fact that he leaves guns hanging around everywhere. Um, our, my next sentence is, it says, compared to Nitty, who preferred to dress and operate as a businessman. So that was one of the things he got. He didn't like his suit. Got fucking purple gators on here. Come on. What are you doing? He keeps on encouraging Al. We're telling Al, calm down with the suits. Then you got this guy fucking saying, let's go with the suits. <laughs> Al keeps calling him his brother. I'm his brother. Yeah, I try to be his brother. Between that and the fact that there's just less open war on the street, he slowly starts being phased out of the outfit. Is this the classic thing of uh, this guy is more non-violent, like he's trying to go more business route? He but, was the most in shape with his shirt off until Jack McGurn yeah. showed up. He's like, <laughs> I mean, it really just sounds like some jealousy. Um, like he there took is this some... dude's spot, and so he was just mad because Jack McGurn yeah. was the shit. It did seem like he was always kind of the shit, and Frank Nandy didn't like that. He keeps on taking all the names, all the <laughs> nicknames. There's nothing left for us. Hell loves him. He has a sweet-ass real name. Why does he keep on going by these other names? Jack McGurn says, fuck it. And he decides to stay away completely and become a pro golfer. So he spends the next year golfing 36 <laughs> holes a day working on his golf game. You know what? Turns out this mob shit's a lot of work. I'm just going to go putt. Still a young man. You know, he made his money. You and shit. Call... retired at 29 well, You play and golf half. till you're 70. So. You can call me Jack Nicholson. When he's all in and decides, like, this is my thing. You know what? Fuck that. I'm done. I got the wife of my dreams. I got this house. I got this is everything I want. I'm going to fucking just become a pro golfer. And he's a real good golfer. You know, better than golf pros. What? That was the shit way back in the day before he was even a mobster. They don't yeah. have any kids to hold me down. <laughs> <laughs> that was Vincenzo Gibaldi's kids. I'm Vincenzo Gibaldi. His first wife, her name was Helen Demore. So she took the last name of her stepdad, of his stepdad. Of his stepdad, yeah. yeah. She became, she moved in with Jack McGurn's family, and she just became like part of that family right away. And she just went by their name. So yeah, August 1933, he plays the first qualifying round of the Western Open Golf Tournament at Olympia Fields Country Club. It's a big tournament. Like he's, he's going to go golf pro. He made he's the big time. He's really doing it. So he was uh. famous for boxing, now he's famous for golf? 
So, well, and he was famous for murdering people. For those are the two there. things he did growing up. Or he's a famous vagrant. Here's a long list of vagrants. Probably the greatest vagrant, man. Yeah. <laughs> so the first day he's on track to qualify, and the second day he really starts to take off. The authorities catch wind that he's playing in the tournament and send the officers to pick him up on the old vagrancy <laughs> warrant. God, he's still got with the vagrancy. Not on anything serious. So this guy's trying to go straight. Why are they fucking with him? There's Let a, the man play golf. There's a gun in his golf bag. Every time he sinks a hole, he leaves a revolver at the hole. <laughs> <laughs> so he's playing under par, and he's getting better, and his game's really rolling. And then they show up to arrest him on the seventh hole. So he's fucking furious, but he asked him to let him finish the round, and they let him shoot the. They let him finish the round. Well, thanks for not being complete they were, dickheads. They're golf fans. <laughs> yeah. Before we put the cuffs yeah. on, replace your divot. <laughs> Let's see how this kid does. Let's see if you could putt this first. But he's all rattled, and he goes out and he shoots an eleven on the eighth hole. So. Ouch! All right, fake, fake, fake. Really? They took me out in the seventh. Uh-huh. Let's just go with that. He gets back on track and finishes real good. No, but he you back on track. Well, but he was so far in the hole. Once you shoot an 11, there's no coming out of that. Yeah, you're not even yeah, going to hit par. Even yeah. if you get a hole in one. Yeah, there's nothing no, you can do. I don't even play golf, and I know you're <laughs> fucked on that. He doesn't qualify. He's devastated. They they walk him off the golf course and arrest him. He, uh, he was freaking out. His wife was freaking out. The people even that were golf were like, hey, you could have just let him golf and then arrest her like he's got to leave. So doesn't qualify. They say uh, he was actually never the same after that. So Prohibition ends, and Nettie is now completely focused on gambling and union organizing. And he's trying to limit violence, and he sees Jack McGurn as an irrelevant dinosaur of an old era. Wow. I, I just love how he murders people. He's been in this whole long story or whatever, but those cops really fucked up his golf game. That changed him forever. <laughs> he really changed after that. Shooting all those people? Nah, whatever. But they fucking... He shot an 11. <laughs> There's no coming back from that. Did that happen? You shoot 11 people? That's yeah, cool. You shoot an 11 on the 8th? And a par 3? Now his oh. handicaps all tore up. Like He's got night terrors now? He's eventually given a small gambling den that he runs with his half-brother, Anthony DeMore. He begins drinking heavily and stops boxing, training, and golfing. He does pick up bowling, which he's really good at. <laughs> I just love the cops fucked up his golf game and he really became just this overweight, like just drunk guy. Like, I could have been a golfer. Wait, like, he... it really just this fucking killer machine gun Jack McGurn. Like, this just really fucked up He's his Thor life. drinking beer with cork. <laughs> yeah. Like, fucking. Isn't he short? Thor had a reason. Like, Thor, like, tried to kill a guy that killed half the people. This guy has a reason, too, man. He shot 11. (laughs) Fuck. You should have aimed for the flag. I was qualifying, (laughs) dude. I was fucking qualifying. I could have been a qualifier. So his unhealthy lifestyle leads to health issues. It was the scar tissue where he got shot in the lung. He's kept getting the abscess oh, there. That's just how the story <laughs> is. Oh, he just kept getting scar tissue? I don't know. So, DEFCON? Well, no, it goes. It gets worse. <laughs> He's got some, they got to sell this suburban home. They moved to a small apartment. He begins acting paranoid and openly discussing moving into some of the outfit's more profitable union racket. February 14th, 1936, the seven-year anniversary of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. He runs into a couple unknown associates and meets them to go bowling at the Avenue Bowling Lanes. At 105, so technically not on St. Valentine's Day, three gunmen come up the stairs, open fire, 
and Jack McGurn was shot twice in the back of his head. The mm-hmm. killers left behind a St. Valentine's Day card that said, you've lost your job, you've lost your dough, your jewels and cars and handsome houses, but things could be worse, you know, at least you haven't lost your trousers. <laughs> Wait, so did those guys that he met up with, the bulls, set him up? Not only, not only did it seem like they set him up, it seemed like they actually probably killed him. So it seems like happened, and I don't know this for sure, but <laughs> he, like... He went to adjust a picture on the wall, and then they shot him in the back of the head, like Jesse James. So the gunman came up shooting when he turned around to see what was happening with them. The people he was bowling with shot him in the back of the head. Talk about, like, just not getting taken out in your prime and just sinking. Then you die in a bowling alley all (laughs) stupid and drunk. Like, on the anniversary of what was probably your highlight, like, the best hit you did. Like, did the alibi, did the stakeout. That was you at the height of your machine gunness, And now you're just drunk in a bowling alley all stupid and sloppy with, like... Al Bundy. With some has-been actress... Bowl in the 130. <laughs> yeah. Like, this was... Because he was nervous. This was Al Capone's brother. Like, this dude rolled with Al Capone. His funeral is tended by Al Capone's mother and youngest sister, as well as they had a six-foot flower arrangement that said from Al. His ex-wife and daughter attended with his mom and siblings. There they are. Who <laughs> all refused to acknowledge his wife, Louise. They were like oh, that yeah. kid at the end of Endgame that nobody knew who he was. It turned out it was the kid in Iron Man 3. Like, that nobody <laughs> remembered. I read one thing that said that when they were uh, burying the casket that Louise had to stand on the other side of the casket because her family wouldn't let him stand over there. Damn. His first wife at least showed up and dominated his funeral. <laughs> I was never a white slave, bitch. She's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm Demora, you're Jabardi. <laughs> <laughs> Who even are you, lady? <laughs> Call me Jabardi. That's not my name. That's not my name. His younger brother, Anthony Demore, claimed he knew who killed him and claimed his right to Sicilian vengeance. And a couple weeks later, on March 2nd, Anthony was shot to death at a card game. <laughs> he claimed Sicilian wow. vengeance. Yes. Not today, Anthony. Jack McGurn's mother appealed to Teresa Capone, who arranged to sit down with Frank Nitti. And Frank Nitti promised that nobody would ever harm the rest of her children. Oh, he promised that he would keep her children safe. Yeah, I won't kill your kids. I mean, I'll make sure (laughs) your kids don't get killed. That's what I'm not. By me. Tonight. So for a guy that wanted to end the violence, he seemed willing to go pretty hard on old Jack McGurn. I've told you, there's some deep-seated, like, jealousy sort of shit. Like, they had to bump heads up. Like, I bet you there's a lot of times when they were in a meeting with Al Capone, he's like, got Al Capone on the fence, like, hey, let's go this route, we'll do all the... Then all of a sudden, Jack just jumps up, hey, Al! Let's kill him and go golfing. He's like, you son of a bitch, Jack! (laughs) McGurn! (laughs) So that's the story of Jack the Machine Gun McGurn. Nope, Machine Gun Jack McGurn. Set yeah. fucking tequila. <laughs> Hit you like a <laughs> I fucked up my own bad guy's nickname. Shit so. hits you like a Brahma bull. <laughs> the guy with the gun McGurn. <laughs> so say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. If we were going to cover, I don't know, there's a bunch of names, but you guys pick up anybody that you think we would cover from the story? Yeah, the know. hooker. Probably the brothers, but I'm sure, like, within the mob the world, they're pearly. Uh, the main guy was uh, Bloody Angelo. 
When, Did when, not to be confused with the Angelo Grosser that they killed. <laughs> right. Bloody Angelo. When they call you that, that's a little bit dark. Which is so, so weird because you think that would be the Angelo that they killed's nickname. Is there a story on that other little guy that he brought in? Yeah, the oh, little Wolverine five foot four guy. Good call. I forgot about that guy. Yeah. Good caller. I see you got it. <laughs> Logan Legacy. All Logan. right. What did she win? <laughs> so Johnny Armando. He's right. five four and he's still your go to guy. He's gotta be pretty badass, right? Yeah. Little scrappy guy. So I guess as a bonus, actually learned about a, a lot about Larice Wolf. She has killed two people <gasps> with a vehicle. She's oh. a bad guy. One when she was she's f- a bad guy. Bring her on. One when she was 15, and then another one. Like, when she killed a girl when she was 15, she was just out driving bad and shit. And then she killed another <laughs> she one. She was just out driving bad. Well, then she was drunk driving again when she was, like, 30 or something and killed another lady. Oh, so she's just a horrible driver. She's just dui out there? Yeah. She's just Caitlyn Jenner and people? Well, what? and her, her dad was rich, so her dad... That's why she could golf, and she used to get out all the time because her dad was like this, you know, rich guy that was never around, so he felt bad, so he'd throw money at it and shit. Mm. And uh, so she killed two dudes. Eventually, by the time she passed away, now remember when there was the big uh, Geraldo thing when they found El Capone's safe? Yeah, with nothing in it. Of course we do. Yeah. So she she was one of the people he interviewed on that. You know, he asked her if uh, Jack McGurn was really with her that morning. Wait, and shit. so this lady talked to. Geraldo? Yeah, this lady talked yeah, to Geraldo. She was the old lady. Yeah, she ended up getting married fucking eight times. Now Lorraine's interested. Like, she... We need to tell this bitch's story. <laughs> yes, he is literally in the middle eight of Eight times it. she got right, married. She killed two motherfuckers drunk driving. Yeah. Yeah. And met Geraldo. Yeah. And met Geraldo. Yep, rich dad he, fucking... Uh... Did he draw her maps in the sand? <laughs> <laughs> did she hate his mustache? <laughs> so now we're going to do the legend has it part. I'm going to kind of debunk a couple, because this is the hardest research I've ever, ever had to do. You know, every book tells a different story. There's so much romanticized stories. These these are real things that you would find if you just did, like, some base-level research. He didn't leave buffalo nickels in the hands of his victims. So they said he would do that. Like, he'd kill people and put a buffalo nickel in their hand and shit. Back then, nickels and dimes had real silver in them. It was too valuable to leave as a calling card. They were too valuable to leave. He just left guns. But that's what's good. Like, he had a real calling card. So why would he go? Like, why would you make up nickel shit? Like, he left guns. Well, and there was another one. Like, most people, when they tell the story, they say he was like, he was a a kid that was on the straight and narrow all the way until his stepfather got killed. Mm -hmm. And then that's when he turned into a gangster. He went full time. I guess you could say he went pro after that. But by the time his stepdad got killed, he was already on the Torio payroll and was carrying 32. You are who you hang out with. Yeah. <laughs> he was on the misdemeanor level vagrancy. Yeah, he was a full-on vagrant. Some people have him listed as James DeMore, Vincent Gibaldi. Like, there's billions of names. His name is Vincent Gibaldi. Vincenzo. Vincenzo Gibaldi. You don't know that for sure. Robert Paulson was his name. <laughs> So now you guys haven't seen a picture, so if we're going to cast a movie about Machine Gun Jack McGurn, who would you cast to play him? Well, since I just watched this today, Mark Wahlberg from Pain and Gain. That little <laughs> like fucking crazy Him fuck. in Pain and Gain? Yeah, that, like... that character was so stupid. <laughs> I mean, he did beat a lot of people uh, in gyms. Either you guys got anything? I'm trying to think of someone that would be like fancy in a suit and like... But little... Yeah, I really don't know. I'm trying to think of... Who's that other little guy that's from Hawaii Five-0? Uh, Scott Kahn. Scott Kahn could play Johnny Armando. Christian Slater played Lucky Luciano. Like anybody could play. <laughs> yeah, I know. Ooh, you know what? Oscar Isaac. 
I don't know who that is. Poe po Dameron, who talks I'm first. Go who with, talks uh, first? Matt Dillon. Matt yeah. Dillon. Yep. Probably, especially around like like outsiders. Matt Dillon. Well, that's probably a little too young. But yeah, that's what I was. Someone that could play kind of kind of youngish, because this guy was in his twenties through all of through this most, shit. Yeah. I mean, he died in his thirties. So all right. Well, here we got. Here's a picture of Machine Gun Jack McGurn. His jaunty bowler cap. That fancy ass tie. There's a couple more pictures on. All right, those are some better pictures. Yeah, like you can see his face. You got one with his shirt off. John Stamos, right here. (laughs) I mean, I could see Uncle Jesse. I could see how he could come up with a bunch of names and like, because he's got a very plain look to him. Like for all the talk of him being flashy or whatever, Mm. he does not look like a flashy guy. Now see the one where he's golfing. Yeah. yeah, he looks like Richard Nixon. That was taken like 15 seconds after he was broken as a human. Oh, that was the eighth Oh, hole? that's his 11th shot on that hole. <laughs> yeah, that's that same day. Damn. This is a picture of Jack and Louise. Little ditty about Jack and Louise. <laughs> you know, I think... Got it... caught going state lines, vagrancy. Neither tequila got Jamon singing. Do, 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 my mop. Do, 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 my mop. <laughs> Tone Rangers up in this bitch. Little side note, I always thought that was Tom Petty. Now I know it's a uh, good old John Cougar. I've seen him live. So hey, no but shit. I think it checks out because it always said humble brag. It always kept saying like people liked him and he was good looking and he was cute. The second we seen that other picture, Lorraine said, "Oh, he's so cute." He so, is cute. <laughs> you know what's too. fucked up? You know who he seems like? Someone that would the guy that played Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. I, I forgot his name. You wouldn't know him as soon as you saw is him. Is it Stephen Graham? Yeah, I think The guy that name. played played Tommy and Snatch? Now, look, these are my favorite uh, Jack McGurn pitchers. So everybody's seen the, like, the famous baseball pitcher of Al Capone at the baseball game, getting autographed with his son. Well, this is Jack McGurn directly behind Capone at oh, the game. Oh, photobombing? But now, look, this is really the best pitcher. Looks like he's reaching for his piece. He's getting a cigar. Right. <laughs> They did just make a movie about Machine Gun Jack McGurn that I watched. They made it in 2017. It's called Gangsterland. Machine Gun Jack McGurn is playing by Sean Ferris, who's the main character from Never Back Down. Oh, another one of your favorite movies? Louise Rolfe, the blonde alibi, is played by Jamie Lynn Sigler. Meadow Meadow. from Sopranos. Come on, she's not even blonde. She doesn't dye her hair or nothing. She's She's not blonde. But the later was known as the blonde, the blonde alibi. Yeah. Yes. They, I'm aware. Did they use the name in the thing, or did they change it to brunette alibi? They just didn't mention it. I think she should be played. They, by... they changed it up. They made her like less of a scumbag. I don't even think they mentioned his old wife. That's what I'm saying. Like if you hear the romantic version, like Machine Gun Jack McGurn's this nice guy. His stepdad dies, and he jumps into the gang life, and he meets this fucking this Hollywood hot chick, and fucking mm-hmm. they run off together. Anyway, the blonde chick should be played by... A blonde chick? Yeah, two broke girls. Oh, I can't stand that girl. That little annoying bitch. I know. Uh, could you yeah. stand this bitch? Yeah, that actually. That stole like that. someone's <laughs> husband? I could take a man if I want to. So not Kat Dennings. The other one. The blonde Kristen one. Kristen Dunst. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kristen Dunst, too. Fuck her, too. Yeah. I don't like her. <laughs> wow. Wait, geez. she's still alive. She's great. <laughs> she's still- yeah, you don't want to burn that bridge in case you ever run into yeah. her. <laughs> she might listen to this. Yeah, and if she did, she'd be like, I was real mad at first, but then I knew she was kidding, so we're cool again. So, that's Elizabeth Bears. 
Like, what about uh, Ben, the guy that played Benny Fazio from Sopranos? He's the guy that played yeah. he, the, for uh, Doogie Howser, mm-hmm. the sidekick on Doogie Howser. Oh, yeah. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. Now, the standard DEFCON scale is five to one. Five being the lowest, one being the highest. On the Bad Guy podcast, none of them are good guys. So five is Lee Murray, who's like your crack-dealing, kidnapping, bank robber. And one would be the Purple Gang. Who's got multiple massacres, multiple gang wars, and they're killing people in the streets. So on a scale of Lee Murray the Purple Gang, where would you rate Machine Gun Jack McGurn? Two, because he's not the worst guy ever, but he's definitely heading that way on the scale. Because besides his skills in the uh, the golfing, bowling, and you know those <laughs> kind of worlds, he's a pretty bad dude. Not evil, not super duper high body count, but he was efficient and proficient in what he did. Some of these guys just get schlepped in and they're like hanging out, rubbing shoulders with gangster. He's kind of epitomizing of what it means to be on the show. What do you think, Duke? I want to give him like a two five because I don't, I, I agree with everything that J Bone just said. I got all that. But also at the end of the day, he didn't have like the, at least the story, the vibe that I got was he wasn't that open killer. Like he wasn't that mean, mean dude. He just got stuck to the mob law. And even in the mob life, the way he did it was like, all right, if we, if I got to whack a guy, I'm going to watch, I'm going to do it. It wasn't passionate. He wasn't just out here killing people for nothing. He was a scorpion in a shoe. Yeah. (laughs) But he was also, he was a cold-blooded killer. He was a killer, but. You're like, he was just doing his job? He was yeah. a bad enough dude that... Well, I mean, we run into people that are just, they're mean dudes, and then they find their way into the gang where it's home or whatever. Like, he just sort of found his way into the gang. He was just, he was smart about his kills. He was just... But yeah, I mean, right there at a two, right in there, I guess I'll go with a two. All right, Lorraine? Mm, I'm going with a two, because he's a dirtball. <laughs> Set up to be a good guy. He had all the tools to be a good guy. And he just chose that life when they killed his stepdad. But he invented, like, the stakeout. <laughs> I think more so he invented the throwaway gun. Like, the, and he left yeah, the, the throwaway is going to He's a two. So that would make him a DEFCON two. Take it to DEFCON two. You heard that, gentlemen? DEFCON two. Now we got to do some listener feedback real quick. We got a five-star review from Johnny Effin Benson. Oh, Johnny Effin Benson. (laughs) That's not my name. (laughs) So it says, Badass. Great show about the baddest dudes in history. I enjoy listening while eating a jar of peanut butter and taking shots of Jack. (laughs) All right. I mean, he must have heard our episode with the peanut butter whiskey. (laughs) I'm assuming... I guess when you ain't got the money, you're going to make your own. Hey, let's talk about peanut butter. I got peanut butter. I got whiskey. Both them bad lads together. Locke's like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> what you do is you empty yep. out half the peanut butter out the jar. <laughs> then you fill it up with whiskey. <laughs> then you shake it up. That's like a protein alcohol shake. Shake it up. <laughs> shake it up. No, like Al Capone, fucking, this guy's about to be Locke's brother. Like, hey, man, you like peanut butter and whiskey, too? Like, shit. <laughs> Dude, you're telling me my brother, Mac, is like, I like peanut butter and you like peanut butter. My name's Johnny F. and Benson, too. <laughs> Johnny F. <laughs> Johnny motherfucking Benson. <laughs> Mother F. I'm in between checks, so I just got whiskey and jelly tonight. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I would say, and I wanted to put it out there. So the I, the best resource I found. Now I ended up, I read three books this in order to get like a decent story. This is the most book. books he's ever had to read on one topic. Like ever, and <laughs> ever ever. And I Usually just, one book. Yeah, I got it. Doubled my book count. <laughs> so, uh, but the one it's called Deadly Valentines by Jeffrey Gusfield. I would say if you wanted to read more, that's not like uh, you grab a different book. It's like a good movie. You know what I'm saying? It'd be like Metal Soprano and Sean Ferris out there fucking <laughs> on running boards and fucking no blonde hair and shit. But you want like a real good story, you know, the, the accurate story. Deadly Valentines would be the way to go. You want the truth? <laughs> if if they can handle this the truth. book, handles the truth. <laughs> All right, so before we go, you guys got anything? Not in particular. Just thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for showing up. No, nah, there's a, another good one. I like this one. It was a good tale. I see. <laughs> Respacito. Hey. <laughs> Shout out to Rox Tequila. Wait. We shit on it, but it turns out it had good results. Stop. Thanks for having me, but if you have, if you're a listener and you've tried this Terramana... Go uh, with the reposado. No, but email <laughs> us or oh yeah, send us a message and let us know oh, yeah. how our review is. Because... If you like the rocks to keep <laughs> and and go to our Instagram at Bad Guy Podcast on Instagram and email us at say hello to the Bad Guy Podcast at gmail dot com. And really, let us know what you think of that tequila. <laughs> yeah. And tell us how stupid we are that we do shots of sipping tequila. Right. Wait, whatever. You had to try it. There's We're... enough to make some drinks and sip on it. So this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming and thanks for listening. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Last smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Be dad, spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus, my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam. And I don't need a hundred friends, I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jugs, a hundred scams. Ay, ay. So, I don't money grabbed a hundred hams. Said I don't money grabbed a bunch of bands. And I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge, I'm blowing crud for my mental life. Ay, and I still keep it on me, run into your big homie for you meet your dead homie. Ay, yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I like my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. Fast lane, let my money at a fast pace, look like I drag race. Control re up in my ashtray, I'm in my bag. Hey, good girl, bad face, no waste, and her ass fake. Hey, and she in love with the bad guy. Hey, but bad bitches never act right. Hey, she act up into that bag fly. I did a turn around at one night. Say hello to the bad guy. Guy coming last place. Last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Last place. Last place.
Say hello to the bad guy. Good guy, come at last place. Smell the dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace.